Hey, one more thing before you go. Do you believe in witches? Do you think that they only come out at Halloween? Is magic real? I believe it is. What does it mean to call yourself a witch? We're going to answer these questions and more when we have a conversation with a witch. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Amy Torok. She, along with her partner, Risa Dickens, are the co-authors of a New Moon Magic 13 Anti-Capitalistic Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment and Missing Witches, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic. Bust Magazine wrote Dickens and Torok, teach us what it means to create art, engage in activism, and exist in the intersection of witchcraft and feminism. Risa and Amy are also the co-creators of the Missing Witches podcast. It's really, really good. You got to listen to it. Where episodes vary from storytelling about historic, magical women and queer practitioners to conversationalists about re-enchanting the world, death, animal kinship, which I wholeheartedly believe in, neurodiversity, and beyond. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's great to be here. And I really love being introduced as a witch. It's one of the few labels that I accept and embrace wholeheartedly. That's fantastic, because I love the fact that I get to introduce a witch. <laughs> so it, it's going to be great conversation today. Where'd you grow up? I am from a, a General Motors factory town called Oshawa, Ontario in Canada. And I actually kind of love talking about Oshawa because it, it again, is, is from a different time. So the, the whole town um, was kind of created and facilitated by the General Motors factory that had been built there. But the McLaughlin family that owned and ran the factory is who, you know, the, the capitalists who made the money, they actually invested a ton of their wealth back into the city of Oshawa. So there's a beautiful lakefront. There are several schools in Oshawa that are named um, for the McLaughlin family, art gallery, a huge library. So again, I love talking about my hometown because it's this exemplar of this sort of anti-capitalist strategy where they, they had a mansion, but they also were providing for the town and providing for the workers that were funding their wealth. No, I think that's the way it should be. That's a brilliant way to kind of integrate that within the system. I mean, we all live in this world together. And what a better way to integrate all of that than to take care of, they take care of you, you take care of them. Exactly, exactly. That really works. I like that. Um, what was your family like? Um, you know, probably normal by 80s <laughs> standards, <laughs> you know, I, uh, uh, again, you know, there was, there was like a big boom of, of divorce as, as women found autonomy, um, in the workplace and so on. I think that happened a lot in the seventies and eighties where women didn't have to be married anymore in order to survive. And so they were getting divorced kind of on mass when I was growing up, you know, most of my 
friend's parents were divorced. So I was that sort of typical 80s latchkey kid. Um, and I always say that like raising yourself has its pros and cons. <laughs> I probably could have used some extra guidance, but at the same time, I was I was allowed to figure out what what I thought in my own space, in my own time, without the benefit of guidance, but without also, you know, whatever prejudices that my parents were bringing from the past into their, into their own lives. So yeah, I, I was pretty feral as a kid, I would say. Um, I have an older sister who gave me my first copy of um, The Spiral Dance by Starhawk who's kind of like a, a famous witch, a contemporary witch and feminist and that sort of um, the women's spirituality movement. So my mother, yes. And so my mother was a feminist, um, but she was Christian. And I think she was Christian first and feminist second, where I sort of, was feminist first and Christian second. And while I still um, am very down with Jesus, Jesus and I are still very good friends. I, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. And part of that is because the feminism was like, wait a minute, you know, where's the female clergy? Where are the female stories? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think that, um, you know, the, it's, not a, it's not an all boys club or shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, yeah. <laughs> an kind of thing, and you can't put a thing on there. Well, yes, you can. It's a, this is a whole other discussion. <laughs> you know, you can't put restrictions on who can lead a, a a congregation. You cannot put restrictions on whether or not somebody is more closer to God or closer to Jesus because of their gender. In in that respect, so. You know, yeah. it, you either you either believe and you have a God, and you believe you believe in that, or or you don't. Because if you believe in it, then we're all equal. And right. There should not be but that fine line there. It's certainly a very very good way to control people, though, to tell them that you yeah. need them to access God, that they are the one that taught you talk to me, and I'll talk to God, and and severing yeah. people from that relationship with whatever they think about the divine well and and that's i mean i again it's a whole different conversation we could go on this for an hour but you know it, it's interesting because i grew up in a very dysfunctional family and um i i i grew up in the 70s but i was like way teenager in the 70s um we won't say exactly how old <laughs> but, but i do have my hair so i'm still good <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I grew up in a, in an environment where my parents got divorced. And at that time, my mother was excommunicated from the church basically for getting a divorce. And then we couldn't go to church with my mother because she was excommunicated. Kind of a thing. I thought, you know, aren't, aren't you supposed to be there for people in their time of right? Life, in a time of their life? <laughs> right? Aren't you supposed to say, oh yeah, it's okay. You still can come here. We still can, you know, do this. So I am a very spiritual individual. That's why I appreciate a lot of what you guys do. I believe in the universe. I believe there's a higher power. I believe in the fact that we're all connected and that we all are interlaced within each other at some point and that Mother Nature and us are also interconnected. Um, I don't believe in organized religion, and that's just my opinion. 
I, I think that what you had said earlier is, is a very right on point. I think that they use that to control you. They use that to, you know, my mother went to, I can't tell you how many different churches trying to be, be part of that community. And each one of them have a different version of the Bible. Right. Which automatically kind of says, well, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. I um, come to that all the time. Like, what's up with that? I'm I'm pretty sure that like Jesus never said that you should kick a divorced woman out of the church instead of seeing and, if and she needs kids. help with that. Yeah. And seeing if kids. she needs help with the extra responsibilities of being exactly. a single parent. Exactly. And you know, my father was a refugee. He came to Canada um, during, after the Hungarian revolution in 1956. Mm. And he told me that, you know, he was raised Catholic and that the, the collection plate was different where he came from, that it was sort of this bag. So you could like stick your hand in and no one would really know if you were giving how much you were giving. And then he came to Canada and he, he went to a church kind of looking for help, looking for community, looking yeah. for anything really and the way he tells it they they kind of shoved the collection plate in his face and it was this very wide very visible tray yeah and he was a refugee he he had nothing but he was made to feel ashamed about that yeah and it's... so he never he never came to church with us like church was like mother and daughters only I remember those days. I mean, not not the mother daughter portion of it, but I do remember yeah. those days because my family did. You know, my mother was a struggling single parent for the longest time. My father was an alcoholic and didn't have much money. So when we did find a church that she could go to, it's same thing. Big big basket, whatever somebody next to you put twenty dollars in, and my mother could put two dollars in. Then she felt guilty about that because that person put twenty dollars in. And I can't. Well, that's a whole. Boy, we could talk. Right. Let's have another conversation down the road. Like we're just back to what's up with that? <laughs> like it's we we understand this like capitalist hegemonic need to control and shame people. Yeah. Like uh, on an intellectual level, we get that, but like on a human level, we're just like, what's up with that? <laughs> exactly. One hundred percent. I think you kind of touched on it a little bit ago. Uh, I think you said your sister gave you a book. Uh, what got you interested in in witches and witchcraft and and we'll learn a little bit about witchcraft if you don't mind you know in regard to this but is that what launched you into this arena no no i think um it's sort of like you know give, giving a painter a really nice set of brushes you know <laughs> it was more along that she was trying to encourage something that she saw in me rather than like introduce me to something brand new um but for me, I mean, the, the way I think of it is this way, that we, when I say we, I mean little girls. And specifically, I guess, little girls in the past, because I think things are changing now. But when I was being raised as a little girl, it seemed to me that there were two options of female archetype. There was the princess and the witch. And I certainly didn't consciously think of this. It's only, you know, more recently that I've, I've even pondered the question. But you could be a princess or a witch in the stories that I was reading. Those were the options. And I certainly didn't relate to the princess in any way. Um, but I really related to the witch. I really related to this... 
outsider, this outcast, this <laughs> unknown person who was outside of the realm of human understanding. I related to her. And so when I got a little older and I was able to visit that that big library, one of the big libraries in Oshawa that's named after the McLaughlin family. Um, and I, I looked in the card catalog again, I, I'm aging myself again. I looked in the card catalog under witches and, you know, I went to the section and all I found were these histories of witchcraft, but from the perspective of the witch hunter. So, you know, like the Salem witch trials, the malefic Maleficarum, all of these things. Everything that I was reading about witches when I was growing up was from that perspective of the oppressor, from that perspective of the witch hunter. And so I think children by and large do this and definitely don't conceive of it as witchcraft. But when you can't find the information that you're looking for, you just kind of start making things, start making things up. You use your imagination. And something that Risa and I talk about all the time is this, this valuing of imagination that we kind of feel is missing. That's part of the Missing Witches project is that we felt that we were missing witches, that witches were something that was missing from our lives. And so I think you know, that manifests itself in, in a lot of different ways. I, I was a teenage punk and I had variously colored hair and, you know, basically would wear a, a, a clown costume <laughs> to school and, 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 you know, just being weird, just being weird and being okay with being weird recognizing that I was going to have to take heat for being weird, but also sort of recognizing that, the other option for me was was not an option. The other option is to fade away. You can stand out or you can fade into the background. And that, I mean, my, my authenticity wasn't something I was willing to sacrifice for my comfort, for the comfort of the status quo. So I think that all, all of that um, has led me to this label of witch because it is so inclusive you don't have to be an occultist but you can you don't have to have a garden but you can you don't have to have be an herbalist but you can um so it's just this this moniker that that sort of means all the things that i that i need it to be risa and i talk about we place the witch at the intersection of the political and the spiritual we place the witch at the intersection of imagination and knowledge. We place the witch at the intersection of, you know, science and imagination. Um, and crossroads are a very witchy thing. <laughs> you know, it, so I it, guess, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry. Um, the, the, the persona that most people think of as a witch, and as you grow up with that, what you see is um, like wicked. You know, you see yes. Wizard of Oz. You see the green-faced, you know, weird-nosed warts, you know, this kind of a thing. You, I mean, that's yeah. what, you, what you grew up with. My kids grew up with. I have two daughters. Um, 
But I think that has evolved to such a point that now some witches are, um, my daughter is an actor and she worked for Disneyland. Um, she uh, does Scarlet Witch and she plays that and she loves it. I mean, she does it. She's also, uh, she's on Twitch and she's on some whole, just a whole bunch of creative opportunity that she's within. You can't see my hands going, but they're going everywhere. They, <laughs> she's in, in involved in the, in, in her hero is the Scarlet Witch. And when you stop and think about where it has come from, where it was back in the Salem trials to where it is now. I mean, one of my favorite, here I go aging myself. I don't care. I tell everybody how old I am. Yeah, I'm 63 years old. So I grew up with Bewitched. I grew up with I Dream a Genie. You know, those are those are staples of every day. When I want to watch on TV, uh, when we only had three channels, <laughs> Bewitched, I Dream a Genie. And in those contexts, society started accepting magic, accepting witches. Now, obviously, Genie was not a witch, but they accepted magic. I mean, they accepted the concept of all of this. Um, personally, I think the husbands were kind of like, what is wrong with you? You, know, <laughs> you kind of, you got, you got this and here you're trying to, no, don't do that, don't do that. Um, and that might be society saying, what we were talking about with controlling. Yeah, you may yes. be, a, you, you may, uh, Samantha, you may have these powers, you may be able to do this, but I don't want you to use them. You know, Jeannie, you have these powers, yes. you can do this and this, but I don't want you to use them. Yes, kind of thing. Yes, I I love Bewitched for for both of these sides of the coin because the witch is presented as you know a, a benevolent figure and yeah. she's pretty and she's lovely and she's kind and she's smart and, and she's, she's a mother witty she's a mother but at the same time we have this allegory for feminism where what if all female bodies had these powers but the patriarchy is telling us that we can't use them. What will people think? Because that was, that was Darren, Darren. Yeah. That was yeah, Darren's yeah. whole thing. He was, he wasn't worried about her like shaking up the space time continuum. He was worried that people were going to find out she was a witch. Yeah. That yeah, society yeah. would scorn and burn her. So to I love bewitched for, for all of those reasons. And not only that, but they also, there was a lot of queer coding and bewitched. So, <laughs> I I I I love revisiting older pieces like that with this sort of modernist um, framing approach. Yeah, to, to yeah. I can look at the viewpoint. Yeah, I know. I, I think that looking through a different lens, and yes. you know, it's I obviously growing up with that didn't think anything was wrong with it. I love the show. Um, of course, I love the integration of it all. In fact, I f uh, after Bewitched, it was Tabitha. You know, they did that little offshoot with with uh, the daughter. Lisa Lisa Hartman. And think about that for a second. Lisa Hartman um, was the grown-up version, and they tried that for a little bit. Uh, I don't think it did. Not sure if it did any well, but either way, it was uh, awesome. And uh, yeah. to me, we've always grown up with that. And I think, I mean, what is it? You, you've mentioned several different things about how these intersections go into place. And the way that maybe we'll go into detail here in a minute, if you don't mind, with it, but. Of course. Um, what what does it mean to be in in today's society? What does it mean to be a witch? Because you know you're you're not something with a big pointy hat, and you know although um, you could be, although you could be exactly <laughs> if you so choose, yeah. Um, but you you know what I mean. You're not. 
you you don't have a big green face and and although I love Wicked, don't get me wrong, I love, <laughs> yeah. I love Wicked, I love Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, but what does it mean to be a witch today? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I can only speak for myself because, like I say, you know, the word witch it really means something different to everyone who takes it on. You know, some. Some people are goth witches and so, you know, black hair and, and black lipstick. And some people are, you know, more like a hippie witch. And so they're like barefoot in the, in the sunflower fields. Um, and, and both of those are totally valid you know, definitions of witch, you know, someone, someone who loves the dark or someone who loves plants. Again, these are like, these feel completely but when you use the word witch, you can put them together. So for me, again, being a witch, it amounts to being comfortable with the unknown, being willing to transgress, to be transgressive, to act against the status quo. Um, for me, being a witch, like we talked about before, is is this massive awareness of interconnection. Therefore, witchcraft is anti-racist, it's anti-sexist, it's anti-capitalist. Again, there are, I saw something on Instagram about witches for Trump. And I'm not even going to sit here and say that the, those people can't take on this label again. Like, the word is not mine. Right. I just, I'm just borrowing it. <laughs> so for me, again, being a witch is, is scientific because so many of the people that we talk to, especially on the podcast, their witchcraft, I'm using scare quotes here, their witchcraft is evidence-based. Um, we have spoken to scientists and, you know, PhDs. These aren't people who are just like, whatever you know <laughs> and i think that 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 the, the witch is demeaned in this way intentionally because powerful anti-capitalist politically conscious women queer people marginalized people of all kinds having that awareness is very fucking dangerous so we need to demean the word witch as much as we can we need to say that witches are not smart <laughs> or that witches are ugly. And some of those things come from reality. You know, this, this story of the witch who will steal your baby, maybe that's true because maybe the old woman in the woods was the only person that you could go to if you had an unwanted pregnancy. And maybe when you returned from this witch's cabin in the woods, you were no longer pregnant. And maybe witches' houses are covered in spider webs, like mine is, literally, because spiders are great. <laughs> spiders are non-harmful insects that, you know, eat and trap and, and make use of harmful insects, keep them out of my home. So, again, this, the witch is presented as this fantastical figure, this supernatural creature. But for me... The witch is very, very, very human. And in fact, if you don't mind, I would love to read a paragraph from a book that I did not write. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. This is, 
Um, this is my Jean Gonzalez Whippler. And again, she she's an incredible academic. She has more degrees than I have pairs of socks. Um, but she's also a witch and she's also a practitioner of Santeria. Um, but when I first read this from the Complete Book of Spells, Ceremonies and Magic, first of all, I fell in love with this book because it was the first book that I found that had um, a global perspective on witchcraft that wasn't just focused on the Americas and wasn't just focused on European witchcraft as I had already learned of it. But also because um, in her introduction, she says this, I don't believe in the supernatural. I believe in nature and all things natural. Everything that happens in this world always happens through natural channels and in accordance with the immutable cosmic laws. All things, both real and surreal, are part of the cosmos, where everything has a place and a reason for being. My gene is this science-minded person, but to me, if you want to be science-minded, then you also have to accept that there are some things that we don't understand yet. And that is indistinguishable from magic, as the quote goes. Yeah, that's a brilliant, that's very profound, actually, what you just read to me. I think that uh, it kind of uh, encapsulates all of this into one little, I'm assuming a paragraph that was. Um, yes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, my my father-in-law, you know, he's he likes to joke around, you know, and he said to me once, you know, I don't believe in witches. And I said, that's okay. We exist whether you believe in us or not. <laughs> and that's sort of how my approach to the cosmos. I have no, can I swear on this podcast? Uh, uh, yes. I won't. I won't. I won't. You can. I have, I have no clue what is going on in the cosmos. And I freely admit that because I am an academic, because I am science minded, I have to understand that I don't know. And this is this is how we experiment. This is how we invent. This is how we learn things by saying, hmm, I don't know. Oh, I'm exactly. Gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this. We wouldn't have what we have today if the people did not say what if. Exactly. And, and why? Why does this work? Why would this work? We would not have what we have today. We wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now, where we, you're in Canada and I'm in Arizona, we're having a conversation like we're sitting across the table from each other. Yes, and this is something that I think we've we've lost in our society is this notion that imagination precedes invention. We've we've dismissed the imagination as this, you know, it's for for children, and that's preposterous. We have to imagine before we can invent. We have to imagine before we can do social justice work. If we're going to do social justice work, we have to be imagining a better world. I agree with that. Um, yeah. My background, I didn't get to tell you before we started, but I'm a retired police sergeant, actually. And <gasps> Amazing. I, <laughs> it, it's, it is, I was injured in line of duty, and I retired um, with with that, I was diagnosed being a wheelchair for the rest of my life uh, by four doctors. If my dog wasn't underneath my chair, I'd show you how I could stand up and walk. Um, but it is, I think that without, and, and this is, I won't necessarily call this imagination, 
but without the fortitude and the possibility of combining my mind, my body, and my soul, I'd still be sitting in the wheelchair instead of walking my daughter down the aisle. Mm. So, you know, it is, I think what you, what you just said is very integral within our nature that sometimes we forget that, yes, we are adults, but that does not mean that we cannot be using our mind, using our imagination. If I could not visualize me walking my daughter down the aisle, and know that that was going to happen, and know that I was going to achieve that goal, then, you know, I, I would have, and this is in no disrespect to anybody in a wheelchair, I spent four years there, I would be rolling her down the aisle, kind of a thing. Yeah. And when, she, when I asked her what she wanted for a wedding present, she said, I want you to walk me down the aisle, look me square in the eye. So she knew that it was deep down inside me to do that, and I think we all should take the opportunity to pause and realize that we have more within ourselves that we can bring forward. And a lot of that starts with imagination and, and visualizing, so. Yes, I mean, if, if your listeners, viewers are still feeling very skeptical, I, I want them, you, I want you to um, think about the notion that placebos work and we don't know why. Yep. Placebos work and we don't know why. What we can gather from that, though, is that our minds in integration with our body, like you say, um, are more miraculous than we could even imagine. Very much so. Very much so. And that's, it's almost like magic. So I got to ask you this. Question. You know what? It is almost like it magic. <laughs> so I have to ask this because obviously we're trying to we're trying to educate people. We're trying to inspire people. We're trying to motivate people. Is magic real? I, yes. Period. Period. <laughs> yes. Because, like, okay, okay, okay. Let, let me expand a little bit. Because again, we we can choose to define magic in in many different ways, but maybe something that we can all relate to again from this perspective of of educating and inspiring is to think about love. Love is an ability that we have that sometimes possesses us, that is often beyond our control and certainly outside the realm of logic. So if you have trouble conceiving notionally of magic, I would love for you to think about love and think about the magic that is that. And then, <laughs> and then maybe you can see everything else. Again, because I'm a witch, I have a very, very, very loose, broad, a tent <laughs> larger than, than anything where, where I keep that word magic and, and my definitions of it. But to me, geese migrating is magic mushrooms existing is magic the whole universe that is happening two inches under the topsoil that we have no idea about you know the silent determination of a worm this is magic but i think really and truly 
the magic is in the noticing. The magic isn't the worm. The magic is noticing the worm. You know, that's Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I, I, you know, the, 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 life. Look at life when my daughter was born. Both my daughters were born. To me, that's magic. You create yes. life, and that life learns yes. and grows. And and you know, we have a puppy. Oops, sorry, that I just hit with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Charlie. You know, we've got this this wonderful animal here that understands love, like unconditionally. And uh, to me, that's magic. I, I agree with that. What happens? People, <laughs> I, I have to get personal in this particular instance because, you know, as a cop, my childhood, even in my personal life, but as a cop, you see people at their worst. You see the best people at their worst. You, you see what a lot of people don't get to see. It gives you a hypersensitivity to observation and to become a trained observer in such a point that you really take notice of things that people normally wouldn't do. And when you take that observation and you can develop that skill, then when you sit outside on the back patio and a hummingbird comes in front of you to say hi, and watching this creature flap its wings at a thousand beats a minute and look at you and recognize you and then go to your bushes and collect flowers like he stopped and said hey thanks for the flowers you really you really understand a little deeper within yourself and how again the universe is connected together and that that to me is magic yes and i mean i i can think of another uh detective you know people in the stories he's fictional but you know sherlock holmes appeared psychic yeah. He wasn't psychic. He was very perceptive, perceptive and he was always looking. So, you know, to me, that that is a psychic power too, to be so perceptive that you know what your spouse is going to ask you before they ask you for it, that you know when you're giving advice to your friends, you know what's going to happen before it happens because right. you've seen them do this this pattern over and over and over again. But that said, I have to leave the space open for the kind of magic that is is outside of this material definition. I have to leave that space open because why would I want to close it, first of all? Why would I want to cut myself off to a whole vast world of imagination and knowledge? But I really, I really look to ancient cultures, the occultism, the magic that they were doing, and I have to wonder about for example, the, the burning of the library at Alexandria. I have to wonder what spells were in that library that were burned that, that worked. Exactly. Because, again, you know, I, I can return to my Jean Gonzalez Whippler. You know, she says, like, these are the examples of when my um, Santeria worked for me. And I specifically and intentionally left out a bunch of other examples because you would never believe them because they sound impossible. And, and most of us who have taken on this, this mantle of which who wear the cape and the hat, <laughs> metaphorically or literally, um, it's because we've had these moments that we couldn't understand, that we couldn't explain, but we know that it happened. I was there when that spell it worked. Happened. Uh, it happened. So, so 
uh, you know, I can materialize the word magic all I want, but at the same time, I really, I have to, Pixie Colin Smith, who illustrated the, the, what was known as Rider Waite, and now thankfully is Smith Waite tarot deck, one of the most famous ones. She says, look for the door into the unknown country. And so we, we definitely keep that as a motto. The door, that's, I want to remember that. Um, yes. So let's talk about, uh, Spells and potions, since you kind of touched on that a little bit. Is sure. there such a thing as spells and potions? Yes. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yes, period. <laughs> I mean, I was recently speaking to an herbalist, and she doesn't necessarily call herself a witch. I call her a witch because my definition differs, differs from other people. Um, but she was talking about plants and their power to heal. You know, she saw someone who had some kind of reaction and a friend of hers put these certain kind of leaves on, on her friend's arm and the, the swelling went down. Um, but you can also poison. <laughs> there are many double, plants. Double-edged sword. Right. There are many plants that are, are poison. So again, when we talk about potions, we're talking about a stew that feeds your family for a few days because you know how to stretch it. We're talking about taking a cup of chamomile tea when you're feeling stressed out. You know, we're anything that we make either to help or to harm is a potion. Well, I, and I, I, I respect that because I, I mean, I manage my, I have rheumatoid arthritis, severe rheumatoid arthritis. I manage my disease with a plant-based diet and with using herbs. So I use, and I understand which herbs do what. Right. I have a natural prednisone. I have a natural anti-inflammatory. You know, I have natural blood cleanser. All of these things I'd use theoretically. I make a potion every morning and every exactly. evening. Because I mix exactly. them together in, in a smoothie or I mix them together in a, in a, a juice. And um, these ones I take if I'm having a bad day, these ones I take. If I need to sleep better, these ones I need. I do when I just need an overall cleanse in my body. So theoretically, I make my own potions. Yeah, and and to be honest, you know, I I have a chronic illness. I take medication every morning, and I have done for many years, and I will for the rest of my life. Um, it's Western medicine. It's a pill right. that I get from the pharmacy. Also a potion. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, just just because we've taken the experimentation out of the woman, out of the hands of the woman in the woods, and put it into a sterile lab. And again, we've spoken to witches who work in labs. Um, doesn't to me anyway doesn't make it any less of a potion. Well, it's like the old the old witch doctor theory. Yes. You know, you get yes. the witch doctor that, yeah, or the medicine man. Yes. In, in the Native American community, I've met several medicine men myself, and they do the same thing, and um, yeah. theoretically the same procedure. Yes. And right. They understand how nature works with us, how nature can, different combinations of what we have in nature. So yeah, I, I, I understand that now. I understand that from a different perspective, because before I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, mm -hmm. But, you, but we, we also see the science in in the witch doctor, Zora Neale Hurston talks about this, where um, the 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 witch doctor, the conjure man, uses grave dirt in his spells for hexing, and 
now I'm using scare quotes here. Science can, can tell us that, you know, disease can leach into the soil from a yeah. corpse. So we think of this totally supernatural, symbolic, metaphorical, Haiti, metaphysical, Voodoo, exactly. Um, but what does he know? He knows that this soil is dangerous, dangerous yeah. scientifically, not because of interesting, interesting, ooh, not because of, you know, some ghosts that are at the cemetery, but because our human bodies can leach disease into the soil around our graves. What do you think There's about curses? No oh, well, <sighs> curses. I am, I'm not a hexer. I tried it once and I, I hurt my back the next day. And I don't know if these two things are related, but for me, it, it, it's enough. Hexing was never really my thing anyway. Um, but, and, and at the same time, there are people, people to whom I have spoken who conceive of themselves as a, a balancer of justice. They don't see themselves as like hexing per se. They see themselves as restoring mm -hmm. justice to any given situation. I don't. I don't take that on. I don't think that I. I'm the right person for that job. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very non-absolutist, you know. So it would be hard for me to decide that someone was a villain in a story. But I think again, let's be very material. Let's be very practical. You can easily curse someone. You can easily curse someone. You can make their life harder. You can withdraw yourself from their company. Yep. You can spread lies about them. And these kinds of things echo almost in a, yeah. in a magical you know, rippling way. So do I think that there's, you know, in my Hungarian ancestry, some vampire maybe. witch who <laughs> maybe again, I, I'm leaving the door open to that uh, unknown country. But at the same time, I think that we humans are much more materially dangerous to each other than we are metaphysically dangerous to oh, each other. Dear. I understand that. Uh, yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, but I also think it's it's about like re-empowering yourself. You know, if you got dumped in a in a really mean way and you want to take everything that you have of that person and burn it and spit and chant and, you know, urinate into the bucket to put it like, bless, do that if that makes you feel empowered. But having said that, again, in my material realm, to me, if any of you are thinking about taking up hexing and cursing, for yeah. me, uh, living well is the best revenge. And I think the best way that you can curse your enemies is to shine. Yeah, disclaimer here, we're not endorsing hexing. <laughs> no, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not telling you not to either. I really, uh, that's, that's what I love about being a witch is that it's just, here's an idea. And what you do with that idea is totally up to you again it, it for me it's how it differs from occultism occult occultists are, mm -hmm. are scholars and and i am that too but i relate to being a witch more because it is just like take this seed of an idea and do whatever you want with it it's it's well, if you do it's something amazing bad, you can't come back and say one more thing before you go told me to do it 
<laughs> that's right we will do this disclaimer yeah. any hexing that you take on we are you not cannot, liable for yeah, the results cannot say they made me do it they made me do it <laughs> you um what uh how do you how do you relate witchcraft to um uh spirituality can i ask that because i know earlier you were talking about christian and being a christian and, and growing up yeah. the way that you had done how does that integrate yeah, I, again, for some people, <laughs> they are inexorable. For some people, they are completely separate. <laughs> some people take on the, the label of witch as a purely political act. Um, like we saw in the late 60s and the 1970s with the advent of WITCH. So they were women's terrorist no, women's international terrorist conspiracy from hell and they were yes so they they were a feminist group who really weren't looking into witchcraft as we think of it who weren't looking into magic and doing spells what they were taking on was this archetype of the scary lady who's not afraid of you and who you should be afraid of. <laughs> so we see these, we see these, you know, and, and uh, versions of WITCH still exist. There's an active one in Portland, all over the place. So for some people, this, this identity of which is purely political. Wow. And then we have some people for whom this identity of which is purely spiritual. It's about knowing our ancestors are with us, that we are not alone, that there is some sort of spiritual reality outside of what we understand. And for me, again, I like that crossroad. I like to place myself in that exact middle space of what I know and what I imagine, you know. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I find all this fascinating, uh, by the way. I think that it, the way that uh, you're discussing it and the way that you're kind of breaking it down helps me understand the integration a little bit more. Um, yes, and thank you. I I think that um, there was another question I had um, when you were talking about, you just mentioned it a few minutes ago, uh, about being political. So mm -hmm. uh, how... Tell me how that's used. In, I mean, other than the WITCH group, which I, I had not heard of before, but um, I'm going to investigate that. I'd like to look a little bit more about that. Um, uh, other than that, from a political perspective, uh, do you think that it has had an effect on politics? I mean, is that what you mean? Or? I mean, I, 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 yes. Um, but not in the same way that we think about, say, like the the hippie anti-war movement of you know um, the nineteen sixties, mm. like the 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 very demonstrative anti-war movement of the nineteen sixties. It's not like that. It's not political mm. in that sense. Although it can be, you know. Yeah, again, sure. like we've we've seen. Um, at women's marches, you know, people with black pointy hats and, and black shrouds who are, are doing this, you know, work of protest. But I think being a witch is a little more in the shadows. It's a little more grassroots. So when we think about the politics of witchcraft, we find small circles of marginalized people who are, who are working together and so, yes, absolutely. I think I think that, and especially now, we're seeing this explosion of of, of young women, especially taking this on and experimenting, if not with the 
the research but uh, mm. the, with the aesthetic with the aesthetic of which and 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 i think that's great you know experiment with aesthetics it's fine <laughs> you know you don't have to i'm not going to gatekeep any anybody you don't have to know everything to try things mm. um but yes i think absolutely when people take on this this feeling of being a witch it makes them want to change the world this is what activists and witches have in common is that we think we can change the world with our actions that's a part so of it'll be interesting to see yeah it'll be interesting yeah. to see how how witchcraft really changes the world but i think we're getting a sense of it now feminists let's talk about salem witch oh. what, what do you how do you think that all came about was that more of a um uh like sit down shut up and do what i say or any validation for that well i mean who am i to say that those the witches of salem weren't witches but i can tell you that maurice conde wrote an amazing book called i tituba and tituba is sort of the most famous witch of the salem witch trials the black witch of salem they called her she was we don't know much about her history but we think she was bahaman um a free woman who ended up sort of like re-enslaved when she came to america but maurice conde writes this book that she claims was written in collaboration with the spirit of Tituba. So it's wonderful and I really recommend it to all of your viewers and listeners. Um, but basically what happened was the Puritans were building their society and they were looking to blame, I think, something, someone for their unsuccesses. I don't want to say failures, but you know, the things that went wrong. Um, and the easy way to do that was to cry witch. Now, the Salem witch trials kind of exploded because Tituba was like a, a nanny. We'll use the word nanny. She, she was in charge of the care of two young girls and she would bring, you know, her Bahamian herbalism and even spellcraft. Um, she made a dog cake, I think was like the thing that really sprung the whole thing off. But basically what happened was two little girls pointed their fingers and said to a puritanical town, this woman is a witch. And the other two, the, the first three to be accused in Salem were Tituba and two other women whose I'm sorry to their spirits, but their names escape me. One of those women was, um, you know, just like the town crazy. She didn't have a home. She didn't go to church. And the other one was a woman who, whose husband died and she didn't remarry. She took a lover and, and kept all of her husband's property. I do want to say that um, women weren't allowed to have credit cards in their own names in Canada, where I live until the 1970s. Wow. So women having property, yeah, this, this, that's a real thing. The 1970s, women weren't allowed to have credit cards in their own name until then. So women having property is terrifying, obviously. So it's interesting to me, um, outside of the supernatural, that these three first accused women were, you know, basically like a homeless woman who didn't go to church, a black woman and uh, a woman who had kept her dead husband's property. So again, when you ask the question about the politics of witchcraft, I think it, it's inherently political. This is what we're, this is what we're up against. 
capitalism, anti-feminism. But yeah, so it's a really interesting story to look at when we want to see how stories get told and how our imagination very, very much shapes our reality. That this, this story from two little girls pointing their fingers created this whole era in American history. Fascinating. Crazy. That is fascinating. And I'm going to have to go look that up. I'm going to read that. I'm going to have to read yeah, that. Read I Tichuba. I loved I Tichuba. I, I kind of, um, I'm a bit of a restless person. Maybe you can tell by my gesticulating. So I find it hard sometimes to sit and read. But I read I Tichuba in, I think, two days. I, I love oh. it. It's Marie's Conde. I Tichuba. Maurice Conde. Highly recommended. Highly recommend that one. I will, I will check that. Do you watch... Do you watch any shows about witches? Like uh, one of my favorite shows is uh, Discovery of Witches. I haven't watched that yet, but it has been recommended to me. I'm very much into mm. real witches, but again, I leave so much space open for fictional witches. I think fiction, again, much like imagination, fiction informs our culture as much as our reality. Are, uh, so many of us have been inspired by fictional characters right. or the Scarlet Witch, like your daughter and the Scarlet Witch. Yeah. You know, that's a perfectly valid witch to have as your your role model. Yeah, sure. it's, I'll have to send you a picture of her, her in her costume. She's it. Uh, it's amazing it, how much she yeah. looks like um, Elizabeth Olsen. I guess Elizabeth Olsen, who plays that part. But, yeah, I do. I love all variety of fact and fiction when it comes to witchcraft because you can't be a witch and not have an interesting story. Well, I recommend so Discovery of Witches to you as well. I think that's pretty good. Anyway, let's talk about I your... Um, let's talk about um, Missing Witches. Let's talk about your book uh, that you and, yeah. and um, Risa wrote together and your podcast, please, and how somebody can get in touch with you. Yes, I have a copy here. I do love a paper book, but it is available um, as an Eve book. Um, just to talk about books for a minute, I'm so torn myself because I love highlighting and dog earing and really messing up a book and really marginalia and making it mine and, and absolutely destroying it. But then if you have an ebook, you can literally just like search and find whatever words you're looking for. So everything has its pros and cons. Um, you can get our book anywhere. Um, it, it's available online. Uh, at, 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 our, our distribution is done by Penguin Random House. So if you're looking for the book, you should be able to find it. We always recommend, though, that you either ask for it at your public library. We are big library boosters. These are some of the few spaces left in the world where you're not expected to buy anything. So go to your public library and request it. We love that. Um, Check out um, your local indie bookstore. And if they don't have a copy, maybe they can order it for you. But you can also just, you know, order it on Amazon and like not be a social justice warrior for one day. It's okay. Everybody needs to take the easy road sometimes. (laughs) And in terms of finding us, uh, um, everything is Missing Witches. So our our website is www.missingwitches.com. On socials, it's Missing Witches everywhere. We're most active on Instagram. 
So you can hit us up at Instagram. Again, the handle is just missing witches everywhere, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and also we love hearing stories. So you can email us at missingwitches at gmail.com. When we tell stories of witches, it's not just important people from history. It's your story too. It's our story too. So yeah, we would love to hear from anyone who's even thinking about the word witch and what it means to them so that that can then expand our definition of what a witch is. And they can find your podcast uh, on your website as well. There's links on your website to your podcast and to the book, I believe. Yeah, everything we do shows up on our website sooner or later, but you can also find the podcast on you know, Apple and Stitcher and all your usual channels. We all your favorite there. listening platforms. Well, <laughs> I will make sure that all of those things are uh, enlisted in the show notes so that everybody has an easy Thank access you. to be able to connect with you. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. I could talk for another hour. Um, but oh, maybe easily. We'll... Michael, just one more hour? Easily. Just one more. Maybe two. <laughs> we can save that for a future conversation. Um, yes. And again, um, apologies from Risa. She had uh, an extreme family emergency that she had to attend to. She was really excited about chatting with you. So maybe we will have a chance to meet again when we'll Risa have a chance is to do it her. again. We'll, we'll have to have another conversation down the road and we can combine that life happens. And when life happens, sometimes it's meant to be a certain way. And, you know, that doesn't mean that, uh, yeah, again, we'll, let's have another conversation down the road and yeah. uh, we'll have a lot of fun. All, all three of us. Thank this you, is, Sergeant Hurst. <laughs> is it okay I, if I just I love call it you to, Sergeant yeah, Hurst? Yeah, fact, I, I still, love it. I, love I still it. have people call me Sarge, so it's all good. <laughs> I value, I value that. I do. Um, yeah. This is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom you can share? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but which ones? I mean, <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, again, like our, you know, you talk about educating and inspiring. We want to do that too, but we don't want to tell you how to do that. I want your listeners, your viewers, your audience, I want everyone to know that you are amazing. You are magical. Don't let anyone scare you into not being the fullest version of yourself that you can. Don't be scared. Don't be scared of the witch within. And don't be scared of the witch without. We're here to help you. <laughs> witch within, witch without. Profound words of wisdom. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. I honestly appreciate it. Again, I'll have everything in the show notes for everyone to be able to have easy access uh, to finding you, your website, your podcast, and your book. Um, so, till we talk again. Thank you so much, Sarge. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. One More Thing Before You Go, established 2010. All rights reserved.